On the 20th of February 2008, at 5.42pm, the fire department in Old Orchard Beach in Maine received a report that smoke could be seen coming from a house in Birkdale Circle. On arrival at the property, the first responders discovered the three residents of the house were inside deceased. It took just two days for the authorities to make an arrest in this case. This is the murder of the Baldock family, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Now, I actually didn't know this case, never heard of it, and as is my want, I tend to watch crime documentaries. And I actually saw an episode of Mind of a Murderer related where they, they interviewed this guy. And you, you've seen the, the psychologist that goes in and actually interviews a very pretty blonde woman. And it, this is what triggered me to do the research into this one because I'd never heard of this case. And he is quite something. So Old Orchard Beach is a small community with a population of some eight and a half thousand. The area of the town is apparently about 2.5 square miles. That's but, a really small town. But 15 of those are water. It's water. So it's, it's really small. It is a really small place. Um, every Thursday, the beach has a fireworks show um, at the end of the pier at night. And this goes for the summer from Memorial Day until Labour Day. And it was actually the first place in the USA to have a carousel. But it's got a seven mile long beach, which is... I don't know if that's a long beach or not. Seven miles, is, you'd be knackered walking both ends of that, wouldn't you? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. So it's, it's mainly middle class, white, above average ages over 50, very few children under the age of 20, according to all the demographics I read. It's such a small town of, did you say eight and a half thousand? Yeah. There's, with such a small town, there's probably not going to be a lot there for young people because there's not enough population. So it's a sort of a circular thing. No, incorrect. And I'll tell you for why. Never mind then. <laughs> The violent crime rate, including murder, rape and robbery and assault, is almost 20% higher than the national average. Is that because of all the old, old people there? It's because it's a huge tourist attraction. Because so there's of the a, nice beaches and stuff. The beaches yeah. and stuff like that. Apparently, um, lots and lots of exchange students hit the place in summer. It's so close to the Canadian border and many French-Canadian students come down looking for summer jobs and the resort is actually twinned with a, a French city, so it's common to hear French being spoken on the streets. It's a bit strange for my visualisation of Maine, but I've seen pictures of the place. It looks nice. And Stephen King, the author... He actually set part of his book thinner in Old Orchard Beach. Billy runs over an old gypsy woman. He is cursed by her husband to lose weight rapidly and uncontrollably. Soon the experience turns deadly for him and everyone around him. That's a really weird premise. That's a really... <laughs> I'm not surprised that's a Stephen King novel from 1996, but that's really strange. Yeah. That's a weird premise. You mentioned uh, Stephen King. I'm like, well, now I have to Google the book, and that's a really weird premise. Carry on, sorry. I, I, don't, I don't know whether where the gypsy bit comes in or where it is, but I say that's where the bit. Well, he's cursed by it because he's. Yeah, but did he meet her in Old Orchard? But I don't know. I haven't read the book. Anyway, Carol and Christopher Baldock lived at Number Fifteen Birkdale Circus, Old Orchard Beach, along with their son Joshua and dog Spike. Carol's son from a previous relationship, Matthew Cushing attended the University of Maine at the Orono campus, some two and a half hours away by road, and lived in the Old Town, which is about 10 minutes away from campus. 
Carol and Christopher had been married for a number of years and Matthew actually only found out that Christopher was his stepfather when he was seven. I don't think that's too uncommon for people no. to get into another relationship, the child grows up with that person and isn't aware that they're not their biological... I d- timeline would suggest he was about one when Christopher came into their life, so, yeah. yeah. So, Carol and Chris, as he was known, ran two local novelty shops called Blustery Day Flags and The Race Place on Old Orchard Street. Again, I'm guessing two novelty shops, we would call them, you know, tourist shops because it was a, a tourist town. Carol was also president of a local neighbourhood association and their son Joshua is said to have idolised his older brother Matthew. But something wasn't right in that household. Matthew was studying European history at this university and had previously spent time in Africa. He wanted to drop out of uni to visit a friend in London and then travel to mainland Europe and backpack around and he expected his mother and stepfather to fund this. They had refused and wanted him to resume his studies, as it seemed he'd actually dropped out in the autumn of 2007, but was still living on campus as if he was attending the university. Matthew had history, though, which is maybe why it explains his mother and stepfather didn't want to fund this jaunt. He had previously asked for them to fund a trip to the UK, and they willingly agreed and gave him the funds, but he didn't go. Instead, he used that money to party hard lots and lots and lots of drugs and alcohol um so you kind of get their reluctance to fund this new trip because he didn't go on the last one it's also reported that matthew discovered that his stepfather christopher was having an affair with a man his mother and stepfather were planning on getting a divorce matthew apparently was worried about how his mother would survive financially so on february the 20th 2008, Matthew drove to Old Orchard Beach. When he arrived, he did not park at the family home, but parked downtown and walked there. That goes to premeditation in my mind. It'll go on. He was expecting his stepfather, Christopher, to be at home, but only Joshua was there. Matthew brought up the divorce to Joshua, telling Joshua that this would ruin the family financially his trip he wasn't getting on or was it socially it was an odd apparently joshua wasn't bothered assuming it would work itself out this is what matthew told the police sounds like a really mellow 15 year old but is that eh, whatever yeah i I'm, I'm in two minds of that i can imagine a 15 year old doing that but i could also imagine a 15 year old being absolutely terrified that his family was going to implode yeah in front i of mean him. and this is only the report of what matthew has said exactly rather than from josh's mouth himself yeah Obviously, nobody can confirm this. Matthew says that he then tried to persuade Joshua to help him kill Christopher. And again, Joshua wasn't having any of it. I mean, this is all Matthew's retelling. Why would a child agree to kill his own father? It's bizarre. He said, Matthew then said he got mad and he can't get unmad. Matthew said he himself can't get unmad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Matthew then jumped on top of Joshua and stabbed him repeatedly. Now, whilst Joshua was being murdered by the big brother other people said he idolised, Carol, the mother, had received a phone call at the shop from someone in town asking if she knew that Matthew was home. Now, why or how would anyone know, unless they'd been watching the house, but if you've got a town with 8,500 people in it, you're going to have curtain twitches, aren't you? 
And why would they bother to tell Carol? Something again in that story is missed out somewhere. Somebody must have, you know, you wouldn't expect somebody, oh, Carol, do you know that Matthew's come, Matthew's car's parked in the old town? I mean, you don't know if, say, um, Carol had spoken to that person and been exactly. like, I don't like this, I don't like this child. He's gone away and we won't see him for a little while because he's... Back at uni, supposedly. Yeah, to be. and then all of a sudden it, it crops up. Like, if, if you knew I'd meant to be away for six months and someone would be like, oh, I saw his car, they'd probably tell you that. I don't think that's too out of the realm of possibility. No. Because that, that's something I would do. I, I'm not saying it's not within the realm of possibility because we know that actually did happen because Carol jumped in her car and drove back to the house. Yes. But I'm just, I just find it a little odd, but, yeah. So, Matthew's story, and again, I'm sure it is a story, that when she arrived, she was asking where Joshua was and was trying to push past him to get inside the room to find him. Matthew, in his own words, again, said he lost it and didn't want her to find out about Joshua. Obviously, Joshua was dead on the floor behind the sofa this by this point. Yeah. He sounds like he's more worried about being caught than he is sad that he killed someone. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other reports that she threatened to call the police if he didn't tell her where Joshua was. So why would she do that? Why would she go straight away to threatening to call the police on her son, Matthew, if he didn't tell him where her other son, Joshua, was? Uh, Again, if he has a history of doing some fishy things and then he's just appeared out of nowhere, won't tell you what the brother is, I, that would be something like, tell me where he is. No, I'm going to call the police. I don't. Again. Yeah, I'm. I'm not disagreeing, but we'll get to the, why. Um, apparently, he jumped straight on top of her, started strangling her. Once she was immobile, he then stabbed her to death. He then appears. Look again, according to him, he calmly sits down and he waits for his stepfather, Christopher, to come back. Now, while waiting for Christopher, Matthew says he gets mad again. And at that moment, Christopher came through the door and he just lunged at him with a knife, stabbed him and tasered him at the same time. That reads like pure hatred to me. Sounds quite coordinated to be able to attack someone, stab them and tase them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, afterwards, obviously, Christopher was dead by this point. Matthew sits down again. Does a lot of sitting down, this lad. And he tried to figure out what his next move would be. And after a few minutes... He headed down the hall, stopping in a room where the family dog, Spike, was kept. Right, this is getting to the point with a dog, and now I'm panicking. Carry on. Yeah, you can't imagine it wasn't a happy ever after for poor Spike. Um, Matthew set fire to the house and left. Some reports are that he stabbed Spike. Some say he died from smoke inhalation as he was, crea- as he was crated and couldn't escape. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit with this, because in interviews... Matthew specifically, he gets angry and it's one of the few times he actually shows emotion. It's very odd. And he gets really angry because people keep saying to him, why did you kill the dog? What was the need to kill the dog? And he says they're asking the wrong questions, but he won't give them the answers to why he stabbed his parents. And what were the supposed right questions? Exactly. He just gets angry about being asked about the dog. When anybody asks him about his mother, his brother and his stepfather, he is completely neutral. It's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre, but the dog will get him angry. So after setting the fire, he jumped into Carol's car and drove it to where his own car was parked in the downtown area, hopped out of Carol's car, jumped back in his and headed back to the university campus. Now... Obviously, the fire service had turned up, found the three dead bodies, immediately called the police. 
For once, the police force in that small town realised they were not equipped to deal with a triple homicide and an arson case. So they called in the main state police to help with the investigation. Police began talking to everyone in town and multiple people said that they had seen Matthew in the town earlier that day and Matthew quickly became the lead suspect in the investigation. The state police contacted the police in Old Town, this university where Matthew was, and asked them to go and check him out at this house on campus to question him. And the police noticed that his hands had been cut up. They asked Matthew what happened to his hands, and he said that he had been cooking a very thick steak and cut his hand on it. He also stated that he hadn't seen his family family since mid-January and had last driven his mother's car a year previous. The police then searched Matthew's room and found a bloody backpack, taser and a knife. Matthew was arrested, but he denied everything. He did not confess and the police, until the police came to him the next day, stated, stating that they had found his DNA in Carol's car. And that car had been known to have been valeted inside and out a number of times. So if he'd driven it a year previous, his DNA... would have been cleaned multiple times since. Yeah. Yeah. So on February the 5th, 2009, Matthew pled guilty to three counts of murder and one count of arson. On the 26th of March 2009, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge cited several aggravating factors, including the fact that Matthew had stabbed his victims repeatedly in the face and eyes, and there was some level of premeditation. Oh, he went for the eyes. That's never a good sign. I mean, the whole thing isn't a good sign. He murdered three people and the family dog, but it's that trope, isn't it, on any detective show, if a child cuts the eyes out of a magazine. Yes, You know, absolutely. You know there's, there's something up with the child. Yeah. Family members, and they're actually the step family. Is that so? You've got Christopher and Joshua, and the mother being Carol. Is yes. that then... Christopher's... Family side. Yes. Yeah, so it would be Matthew's step family. Yes. Yep. Okay, sorry. They... I'm, every time we do this, in my head, I'm like, I have to get the family tree arranged in my head. Otherwise, I'm like, I have no idea who is where. No. Or what is what. Yeah. They described Matthew as good-hearted and conscientious, and it was difficult to understand what could have driven him into a homicidal rage. Was it difficult to say? Yes, it was. That was a bit of a mouthful, and it was conscientious. quite... Conscientious. Um, Dirk, who was Christopher's <laughs> father... No, it wasn't Dirk, it's Dick. I do apologise. <laughs> Dick Bolduck. Christopher's father pled for mercy for Matthew from the judge, saying a life sentence may fit the crime, but it doesn't fit the individual. So it's his step-grandfather? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, at least they're showing compassion. I mean, I say at least, not like he necessarily deserves it because he committed a crime like this, but it's his family are trying to see... They seem like compassionate, kind of nice people by that. Yeah. I, I don't think it's just the case of, oh, it's their, my fam... He's our family, so... We arbitrarily have to be forgiving for him, it seems like. Because I think once you go to the point of killing your entire family, that kind of is at the window for most people. Yeah. But for the family to be conscious of that and be like, well, he doesn't deserve life in prison. This this sort of goes to the what will be the case autopsy at the end, is that what they seem to have seen as Matthew is not what, not what other people saw. Do we know when they last saw him? Because if he was no. like a young teenager... No, I he, guess was, that, I mean, he was 21, so... Yeah. Yeah. So the Assistant Attorney General, Lisa Marchesa, 
or Marches, who sought the life sentence, and the defence lawyer, Joel Vincent, both said after the hearing that Matthew himself had psychological problems and doesn't understand what motivated him to kill. I don't think he knows, Vincent said. Marches added, I've said from the beginning that we're never going to know. So going into the case autopsy on this one, some things I didn't mention in the main story. It's really difficult to validate, but there's a mention of his birth father and not having a relationship with him. I did find out his birth father's name and apparently Matthew had tried to reach out to him had tried to build a relationship with him, but appears to have been rejected. And that got me thinking that's very Ed Kemperish. I don't know if you remember the Ed Kemper. Yeah, yeah, um, he's the one that murdered his mother and cut her head off and stuff. Yeah, and threw darts at her and things yeah. like that. But his he his father had left when he was very young, and he tried. And his father didn't want him when he found him. And he was persecuted by his mother for being the son of his father and was worried that he would like attack his sister and stuff and then subsequently then basically drove him to do these things yeah well he did kill his grandparents years before that hey don't worry about that bit don't worry worry about that bit so that's a minor detail yeah it's just it was interesting for me that he had no relationship with his birth father if he'd found out from the age of seven that he was adopted i mean yeah (sighs) i found i found his i found his real father's name that that did take some digging around, but there's no information about the guy. But if I know it's his birth father, but I know there's the wanting to know your family, etc. But it, that almost seems arbitrary to the point where he's had this other man in his life, Christopher, for for twenty years, mm. and he's only known that he wasn't his biological dad for the past fourteen years. So Matthew, I'm not going to say count your blessings because that doesn't mean anything. But like, yeah, it, I mean, th- th- there are reports that Matthew said that Christopher, his stepfather, was abusive to him. But that's never ever. So was that that Christopher was abusive to him? Christopher, his stepfather, yeah, was, was abusive, abusive to, Matthew. to Matthew. But that's never. There's no corroboration for, for that from anybody. And other people state, but we all know that you can have um, a one view from the public and what's behind closed doors yeah. is something different but there is nothing about that the, the reports are that Christopher was he, he was a good father to him he took him on as his own the other worrying thing I mean apart from the end where he starts to have an affair with his oh yeah I'll get into that one as well yeah the, the, right <laughs> he, he found out that his stepfather was gay and in a relationship with another man, which was the reason for the impending divorce. So it's a rather obvious angry action. Do you know how amicable the thing was between Christopher and Carol, whether, whether or not it was sort of known and they... It seems to have been relatively am- amicable, yeah. OK. The, 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 there are witness statements that were given to the police. Obviously, they're not out there by this person that said that they were in a relationship with Christopher and they were due to leave the state and set up home together. So it, was a, it wasn't just a fling. It was a full-on new relationship. Do you think he was annoyed that it was an affair or that it was with a man and you had sort of homophobic... I mean, how are we to know? I mean... No, you're right because the police did find evidence in his university rooms where he had, I don't know why people do this, but he had written out uh, a number of, and it's you can't get quotes on it, but the inference is very, very homophobic statements. And yet he never mentioned this to the police when questioned that the divorce was happening because Christopher had decided he was gay or had finally... 
I don't th- oh, him being gay and having an affair. I don't think was the the impetus to to kill him, because uh, by all, I think it was. Well, no, it wasn't it because he was um, refused this travel. Yeah, it's a, comp- a combination so, of so things. I was gonna. I had a question about that. By him having such an infantile reaction and being so just aggressive to things, would he have even been capable to travel around like wherever he wanted to travel without accidentally eating the wrong food and dying? Like, how can this person? as such an infantile response to being told no, be capable of travelling around the world. That actually leads into the first time when he lost all this money, and I've seen sums of between three and $5,000. Yeah, I'm probably messing up your timeline for things for no, me for me asking um, questions. Carry on. When he, when he first used all that to party hard, he obviously became majorly addicted to drugs and alcohol, and it got to the stage where he'd run out of money... So what he was doing was he was reduced to swigging cough mixture and getting a buzz off cough mixture. Cough mixture in the States, I know, has different stuff in it to what we have in the UK, and you can get as high as a kite if you drink this stuff. But, yeah, he was getting a it's buzz. A, it's a really common in, I think it's Nigeria, or there's, like, codeine cough syrup. They basically pour a cough mixture down their throat and they get high from it, mm. and they use, like, a tube because if it touches the teeth, it can rot your teeth. Yeah. And, they, and they just get buzzed off their tits from pouring it. Shouldn't be giving advice. Um, but yeah, that's it's kind of well known. Well, it it leads into he was twenty one. You've said twenty four. The frontal lobes fully formed. I thought it was twenty five, but who's arguing over twelve months? Mine's according to Joe Rogan, so we don't know how wrong that is. But yeah, but it also makes me wonder how much damage he possibly had. I know for a fact the judge, when he was first brought up and actually charged and presented to the judge, they actually um, ordered psychiatric reports on him. But what the end result is. We don't actually know. It's never been... His, his solicitor obviously didn't have anything that could have been used as a defence. Yeah. So what he's been diagnosed with, if anything, I don't know. Now, the other worrying thing is he'd done some extensive research on the internet on the best stab points to kill someone and where to stab to kill. So there's a hint, even when you clear your browsing history, even some of these really good scrubbing software you can no, get... I'm, I'm just saying, uh, when you clear your browsing history, it doesn't remove any trace of it. It just removes the, the, the storage on your computer. Your, your ISP has all the data still. So the, 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 the police can Yeah, go, but people don't think of that. What was he searching? About, oh, he searched this. OK, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what the, the police knew. That, again, premeditation. A neighbour and a friend of Carol's is also reported saying that she thought there was no conflict about the travel plans to Europe and then he would he was going to go and finish his degree in Europe. Do you know what his degree was in? Um, art history. Oh, no, European history, sorry. OK, yes, you already answered that. I, I was paying attention. Yeah. He was also supposedly depressed about his own dog who had passed away recently and struggled with that. Wasn't Spike... I'm assuming it was a secondary dog and maybe it had passed when he'd gone off to uni. But again, why kill Spike? This So this is the fourth podcast we've done. I'm slightly dating it by because people don't know when we record for this. this. This could have been recorded in like December for anyone else knows. Two out of the four cases have involved a dead dog here. This better not be a theme. I, I only realised that that was actually and each recurrence. And almost. I, again, this is the third case that's involved like a family murder. Again, it's not deliberate. I am just picking cases that seem quite interesting this to me, or I didn't know. Habitual. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's murder's murder, isn't it? Um, going back to the theme, 
Matthew had time to think between each murder and he still continued on to kill someone. And so he, so he killed all three of them in the house? Yeah. Now, in some reports, there was actually an hour between each killing. So he killed Joshua and then his mum came home, but it was an hour. So when he killed Joshua, do we know where he killed him? Apart from obviously being in the house, but do we know? I've, I've read reports where it was in the living room and he stuffed Joshua behind the sofa. Because his mother coming home, so like in my head, it's Joshua's come home, Matthew's killed him. Then his mum comes home, he kills the mum. And, and then the stepdad comes home, he kills the stepdad. Why are people just walking into this? I, I know they're going to have no idea that he's committing these murders, why would you? But it seems to be like he's not even... It's, just, it's like walking through a trap each time. You'd, you'd think there'd be yeah. some form of evidence. Why is there a blood pool? What... Matthew, why have you got that knife? That's why he didn't want his mother to get too far into the house in case she right. did see any of the blood pool or anything that I'm sure was actually there. But like I say, he apparently had an hour between each killing. So you've got... That's the cooling off period. So again, this is about premeditation. He could have stopped. He could have killed Joshua, lashed out, killed Joshua, and then just left it at that. Heightened sense... Fuck. His heightened sense of sort of... Yeah, exactly. There are no words for no, it. No, but I'm, I'm thinking if he's killed one of them, you thought, shit, I'm in, in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, that'll be caught because I killed one of them now, so I have to kill I, all three. I kind of think that's where Not his brain that I went. agree with that or, or understand his rationale, but you have to try to put yourself in their shoes. I think it's, I've, I have wondered this myself a few times when some of the cases we, when you hear these things, and I could think that that could definitely happen very quickly if there was 10-15 minutes between each one it's like as you say oh shit I've killed one I need to kill them all you're not thinking about the fact that your life is over because you're going to kill everybody it's bad enough you killed one of them but then you go on and kill all three of them it's the fact that he had that hour that complete hour where he could have no I need to stop this yeah I, I can understand that but again it's, it's, it's hard to apply our stupid form of diagnosis to him, but from all of this, from all of the accounts that you've said, he, he clearly has like an infantile response to things. He's been told no, he's done all these things, he's killed as a response of that, he's not planning further ahead, it's... He did, well, he planned further ahead in some ways. When I said, when he started the fire in the house, he actually set it in three places... So well, I'm he, surprised he didn't accidentally set himself on fire. In well, the I, he, I actually had written down he was all round useless. He stuffed that up as well. You know, he just pfft. now his medical red, records are sealed, and as as we said earlier, the defence doesn't appear to have tried to use anything for mit- mitigation. USA system, so it may be a bit different how the UK would work, which I know obviously know a little better. And the prosecutor himself said that he believed, or she said that she believed that the trip to Europe wasn't actually relevant. Probably not even a trip to Europe again. She probably just wanted more money for drugs. Well, again, yeah. Now, I've watched many documentaries and interviews with killers. Some people might say too many. But I've seen them scared. I've seen them angry. I've seen them nonchalant. I've seen them even find a humour in the situation. Did you have to say that with an accent? Yeah, no. Um, I'm sure some listeners will have heard of the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. Oh, was he the one that was the mob killer? And then he'd, yeah. And then he, his friend worked in like a refrigeration place, and that's where he'd kill people, work for the mob, and hide them in the thing. Yeah. Do you know he? You probably do know this. He walked so much and walked up and down all these different blocks that he was going through just constant pairs of shoes. And his that was one of the things that his son re- recounted when telling the story. No, I'd not heard that. Yeah, it was, it was like, oh, my dad, because he wore like dress shoes, like smart shoes. He's like, yeah. he's going through them constantly. So it makes you think about like what is remembered. 
he he's such an interesting character if you do watch him on documentary. Big bear of a man. Um, and he's always got this wry grin on his face. And he's just... he's. But the thing is, there's no emotion. Um, Matthew Cushing, I... He's, 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 I've never seen anything quite like it. There's nothing faked. There's nothing feigned. It's just, frankly, it's creepy. He looks dead behind the eyes. He says in the documentary he would like himself to know why he did it. But again, nobody's saying what evaluations he's had. What's he been diagnosed with, if anything? Um, the psychologist that did Mind of a Murderer she came up with a phrase that I was sat there bouncing up and down with because it absolutely suits him down to the ground. She caught, she described him as having a completely flat affect. It was, he's dead behind the eyes. Um, Richard Kuklinski, he, I mean, he just killed people like you and I would swat a fly probably. But this Matthew Cushing, it's his whole mannerism when he's on the phone. You would think if he's, he's, he's saying on this documentary... I would like to know why I did this. You know why you did it. You're just not willing to well, face why again, you did well, it. Again, that does happen where I can't know the... I don't know the word, but when some people go into some form of um, extreme anger, go into a trance, they do suffer from some form of amnesia. So he, that's how when he says, I just get mad and it doesn't go, he might not, genuinely might not remember, like through periods of no, extreme No, he, he didn't forget any of it. He, yeah, no, 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 but I don't mean literally forget the process, but it could be he's forgetting all the emotions and... Yeah. thought process to go with it yeah it's yeah it's i just wonder how much of the of the drug use did cause this damage personally but there's a lot of people that's on a lot of drugs and this guy's only 21 how much how much drug how much drug could someone do in such a short span of time to mess you up that much yeah and it's odd his worry about it would ruin his mother financially now that sh- one that shouldn't be his problem. That was down to his mother and his stepfather to deal with. Or, or does that show that he at least wants his mother to be on a on a level and be doing okay? Or is that purely because it's if his mother's doing bad financially, she can't support him for travelling? Exactly. Which is it? Which, which is it? He's he's not revealed any of this in any interviews or anything like that. Yeah. It's he, He's given his statements to the police. The police have kept the statements under wraps. You can't actually see them. I just want to show you some pictures now of the victims. So that's Christopher. That's Carol. That's Joshua. That is Matthew when he was arrested. Uh, sorry, not when he was arrested, when he first appeared in court. And that is him in the documentary. Now, if you look at those eyes... He's emotionally dead behind those eyes. Right, in the initial picture that I've been shown, some people... I mean listening to this there's a another podcaster called Lex Friedman who does the Lex Friedman podcast about AI it looks like him with cross with Adam Sandler I think and yeah there's I don't know it's it's, it's hard to like distill informa- um, uh, emotion from looking at a picture but it's completely if you were to draw a face it's just a circle a circle like two dots for in, like nostrils and then mm-hmm. it's like a line you know the emoji that's just like yeah it, it's kind of like that it's, it's like but when you watch that documentary, and I'll link to it in the show notes because it's actually available on YouTube. You can watch this on YouTube. I mean, when I first watched it, I did my usual. I wasn't listening half to the case. I was watching for continuity problems because they'd obviously cut bits that didn't actually fit. Um, but it was, it was, it, I got drawn into it because of his weird, his absolute weirdness 
when he's recounted. Well, yeah, there was, it, there it's was no. Like, it's almost like a morbid curiosity you have about them when someone's exhibiting something so sort of out of the out out of the spectrum of what is normal. You you become like, oh, why is that? I mean, that's the whole thing about, I guess, true crime as a whole. People like are interested as to why people do these things. But you 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 know nothing about true crime. You know nothing about. Hey, I know about the Iceman, and I and I told well, you, you about I told you about those weird shoe facts. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to actually note that you've shown more emotion listening to this. Because you killed he... the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I'm sorry, it's, it's not every deliberate. Ta- it's every not... time. <laughs> yeah, we've got a fa- family annihilator here that isn't the parent, which is incredibly unusual. But I yeah. can actually think of, I say that, and I now I can now immediately my brain goes to two other cases. But that's just me. Um, but it is usually, not always, but usually the father that kills... The children, or kills yeah. the children and the mother, and that, or the mother kills the children, and how often is it where it's like a um, murder suicide type deal with the father doing that? Is that particularly common? In family, well, fam- that's what a family annihilator is. They they usually it's quite often it's to do with job loss. Oh no no, but I mean um, they kill the family and then do they usually kill themselves? Yes, at the end? that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. they've just from what I've read, it's something that they haven't done. We know a couple of ologists. It'd be really brilliant if somebody did a study. Um, yeah, we know a couple. Yeah, we do. But it, they're listening. Sorry. <laughs> there, there doesn't appear to have been any major in-depth studies looking into familiar side and the triggering factors that do it. But from what I have read of the small studies that the oh, sorry, not the small studies, the small analysis of some of these cases, it seems to be that the father, in these cases. Um, they have reached the conclusion that they need to commit suicide, that their life is over, they've lost their job, they've lost the house, they've lost this, they've lost that, and the family won't be able to survive without him, so he goes and kills them all. I mean... There was a case a couple of years ago in the UK, very wealthy businessman, massive great pile of a house out in the country, he's seen on CCTV, which was actually hard loaded elsewhere so that's how they could see the cctv afterwards because he burned everything down everything he killed the dogs killed the horses (laughs) killed the dogs killed the horses okay i don't like horses i know people don't need to know this trivia but it's okay it's not horses it's people that that ride horses why kill the horse what did the horse do exactly he killed his wife and he killed his daughter the horse doesn't care that you've run out of money the horse would just go to a different owner and the horse would be like this is pretty chill munch some hay and stand that's all horses do but burnt the house down, killed and well killed himself, and set the fire so that the whole lot went down. And they, it, when it initially happened, they thought it was um, obviously a tragic accident. Until they finded, started finding bullet holes in, because the, it was a, I think it was a, th- a five-story house. It was a huge, great pile, and the floors collapsed in on each other yeah. as it went down. So I think it was when they then checked because the dog and the horses were out in the dogs and the horses were out in the stables. And they were, why are they dead? Because the stables didn't burn down. And then they found the shotgun wounds to them. So that made them then be a bit more careful. A fire can accidentally happen and annihilate a family. A, a yeah. gun can't go off multiple times and kill multiple different bodies at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And it also reminds me of the case, I think it's John List. Um, a number, and I'm absolutely positive that an awful lot of listeners will have heard other podcasts on John List. He's another very famous family annihilator, USA-based. 
that was um, living completely beyond their means. It, again, the same as the UK case I just mentioned there, keeping up a facade and it crumbled. So he killed his mother, he killed his wife and he killed all his kids. But he didn't kill himself, he vanished. But the worst... Has he been found? I, I believe he has, but I think he died afterwards. Okay, so I googled it. He died in uh, 2008. Yeah. But the really, really interesting thing that always gets dropped as a bombshell at the end of that one, um, the house that they were living in, so they were, it was way, way beyond their financial means, the lampshade in, I believe, the ballroom, yes, they actually had a goddamn ballroom, it was actually a Fabergé glass lampshade that thing They're eggs usually aren't they n- no fa- well, wait no the, the Fabergé eggs are those fancy f- fancy easter eggs yeah that's what people know them for they made them for the Russian royal family but Fabergé is also a huge um, glassware anything glassware yeah. but yeah. yeah if they'd have sold this goddamn lampshade it would have fixed all the problems it would have yeah. fixed everything and set them up for life but then again people that are um going through the mental process of let's just annihilate the entire family probably aren't thinking oh I can flog my fancy no, chandelier then, no I mean again he, he didn't want to I think John List he didn't want he didn't want to sell the house um, because it would have exposed that they were living beyond their means and he was the only one that knew they were living yeah, beyond their I mean, means I mean there's the thing about narcissism isn't it it's it's only a disorder until it's disordered something so I yes. guess he, he didn't want to stop showing the facade but um Going back to the... Matthew Cushing. Yeah, going back to the, the Baldock case. Um, do we know what their financial situation was throughout this process? Because like you say, that they had two like sort of touristy novelty shops, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Do we know what they what they were like? Because if they sort of half-funded Matthew's thing before, then... I th- and this is in 2008, so this is just about when the, the first... Recession hit, yeah. Yeah, first so... First recession. My understanding is that they, they'd lived in that town for a long time. They'd lived in a smaller house around the corner, upgraded. They were comfortable. They weren't wealthy, but they were perfectly fine. The presumption is that after a divorce, they would have still been fine. She probably would have... They would have sold one shop and she would have kept the other or something. Or she could have found someone else, but, I mean... It's just kind of odd because... They weren't going to be living out of the back of a van on the beachfront. That wasn't going I mean, to be happening. you say that, that sounds like that would be pretty boring. Have you seen some of the states those vans are? They look, like, better uh, than my bedroom. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I yeah. do agree, but yeah. And on a beach, are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. No, it, I'd say from the writings that the police found in his room, there was stuff in a backpack or something, I believe... And it was homophobic. So I think he was massively angry with Christopher. And that's why if Christopher had that been... That anger had festered. Yeah. yeah and if he was the first one, well, you think he would have killed him? I think it no might else. have stopped at killing Christopher. Yeah. Everything would else would have, you know, still been completely and utterly screwed cas- up. Cascade effect from there. Yeah. So are there any reports, presumably not, otherwise they would have been mentioned in the initial part of any sort of roommates that Matthew had, like reporting that he was a especially fucky... No, I've got... I actually will link into this. I found a number of... All the news reports I'd found on this seem to have been archived off. You can't find anything. But some wonderful bloggers have pulled together an awful lot of the timelines of these things. And I've seen quotes from um, high school friends, people that he shared um, uni 
um, housing with. And they also said he was affable. He was fun. He was an average guy. He didn't seem um, aggressive. He wasn't angry. So were they all bombed out of their heads as well? Yeah. Or did he hide that? Yeah, it's kind of... Was he hiding that from them? I, it, it sounds like from someone that is, has such the, going back to the infantile response, I don't think they'll be able to withhold that facade for a long period of time. I don't think they'd have that in them. So it, it's, it sounds like he's had some form of like psychotic break. Or there is an inherent type of um, personality disorder. Yeah, but for it to just suddenly appear, he, had, he had, yeah. had he had any prior like, violent... No, there was reports? no run-ins with the police. There was nothing... But it was his. He previously he'd done this, so he had history with drugs and alcohol for a, for a couple of years, by the sounds of it. But all his friends just think he was a good old boy. There was no indication that he would do that. But then the fact he's he researched it, he re- researched the fact. Yeah, but to be fair, like if I'm playing a game and I and I need to Google how to make a bomb, I make sure I have to put the name of the of the game I'm playing afterwards. So it's kind of like. Google searches don't always mean what you think they mean. No, that's true. But if you... My thinking that he was because looking... I've Googled how to make uranium. Like, oh, shit. Then I have to type, some, the, type something the thing afterwards. Afterwards. Like, Shit, yeah. fuck, no. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Yeah. How to make uranium with yeah. relation to XYZ game. Yeah. yeah, Minecraft, help me. Yeah. yeah. So... But, yeah. Sad, it was a sad case. There was... Nobody needed to have died. But, as you say, one person could... If Christopher had come home first... It could have ended differently. It could have ended differently. And rest in peace, Paul Spike. Yeah. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. We never know how to end these podcasts. 